This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Ryan Offord. Ryan, are you ready to be great today? Hey, man, I'm ready to be great every day, brother. Ryan is a 20-year ad agency veteran, successful entrepreneur, and marketing influencer. Ryan has built multiple businesses into eight-figure performers, including his current digital agency, Radical, which is one of the fastest-growing digital agencies in the Southeast. Best known for his creative and strategic work on brands like Verizon, Lexus, and the NFL, Ryan also hosts the Radcast, a top 25 marketing podcast. Ryan, thank you for being here today. Hey, man, my pleasure, Jason. It's great to be with you and appreciate you having me on. So, Ryan, talk about how you became to be a career marketer. How does that work? Well, you know, I think I was born with it. <laughs> you know, like my, I grew up in a, in a family of entrepreneurs. My mom and dad both had careers. My dad's a, a natural charismatic sales guy. And I think I'm... Hey, Belin, I, I, I kind of talk a lot about this division of marketing and sales. And I don't know if I had the charisma that my dad has as a salesman, uh, but I think I did have his brain as a marketing person uh, and grew up with entrepreneurial family, kind of saw how it was to have multiple income streams and to chase more than just your day job. And I think that influenced me. And then I was always driven to kind of be myself and always thought I think I had a creative brain of sorts. And I think that translated to, you know, the marketing world and, and being, uh, I, I think I'm equally entrepreneurial and equally a marketer. Uh, I think I've, I've worked for other people. I don't, I'm not one of those entrepreneurs that couldn't work for others. Uh, I just always had the entrepreneurial spirit and the places I have worked. I think that's been of value to the people that I work for. But, you know, I, I was a marketing major at Clemson. I, you know, was one of the few people to come out of, you know, your college and do and go into a field that was exactly like what you were lined up for, which for me was at an ad agency, uh, you know, cutting my teeth early on. And I think it all started early with just kind of having both that entrepreneurial and marketing mindset for consumer behavior and how you motivate people to take action which is what I think marketing truly is. Brian, can you tell us some more about the advantages and what you learned from your parents, entrepreneurs? I mean, that's a great advantage, right? Learning entrepreneur as a child, right? Versus and so many people don't have that advantage growing up. Yeah, man. I, it was interesting. I, my parents were not, I mean, this wasn't like they were uh, Netflix entrepreneurs, you know, we were uh, deeply seated in the lower middle class of South Carolina and easily South Carolina, which is, right outside of Greenville, which is somewhere where I live now. Uh, and, you know, they were serial entrepreneurs in that they did everything from uh, garage sales every other week to uh, my dad having, you know, two or three kind of side jobs, uh, doing a number of things, um, you know, to, from an income stream. And I think I just learned that there's a lot of ways to make money um, that... I think sometimes, and a lot of my friends, you know, in our in my era, 
you know, it was growing up where you go to college, you get a job, you do that job, you get health insurance, you get life insurance, and you save, and that's your thing. And but I grew up in a family that did those things, but also had a floral arrangement company that my mom run, or my dad was distributing like he was one of the first like multi-level marketing guys. I mean, he had a day job in sales, but then he's like doing like workout powders and different things, like even when I was growing up. And then he was, you know, also it seemed like we had, you know, I joked about the garage sales, but we were the perennial garage sale family of what seemed like four garage sales every summer. And so I watched, you know, my parents kind of piece together a middle class income through four or five things and not just one. And I think it made me realize that there's not just one path to building, you know, your, your home economics and your home, I don't know, income. And I think that did impact me quite a bit. I remember when I was growing up, I would like sell newspaper, watch cars, cut grass as a kid, making money. And one time I lived with my aunt and uncle for a year when I was high school and my uncle took me, cut down trees and start selling wood, right? He was like, there's always a way to make money. You just had to figure it out, right? I'm pretty sure the same way, I'm guessing. Yeah, man. I mean, I uh, my first real job, I was like, I think, you know, I think I might have been, I don't know if I was a legal worker or not, but I think it was 14 or 15. <laughs> yeah, we'll we won't talk about that, right? <laughs> we won't talk about that, but like, not literally, but it was like a family company, you know, it was harmless. Uh, but I was like washing dishes at a family meat in three restaurant, literally with my hands, like scrubbing pots and pans was my first real job. Uh, other than, you know, the garage sale help and, sh- you know, uh, shoveling baseball cards around. I was a baseball card junkie and definitely had little side incomes like that, but like real, real jobs was washing dishes. And, you know, I did that for like two summers and I'm like, why the hell am I washing dishes? You know? And then started working at like the video store. I'm like 16 years old, like a sophomore and junior. I worked, you know, I played sports, but I worked, you know, pretty much my all through high school and in college, um, paid my way through Clemson. My parents helped me some, I say it was more like an 80, 20 plan, uh, 80% on me with student loans and, and working and waiting tables. But, you know, I learned a work ethic and I think my parents would argue, you know, that work ethic improved over time. But I always knew and had to make my own way to kind of buy the things that I want. And from an early age, I liked what I liked. And my parents thought I had rich taste for a lower middle class uh, <laughs> family. But you know what? I pieced it together and made it happen um, through multiple jobs and multiple streams or trades and what they call it, horse, horse bartering or horse trading or whatever it took. But, uh, you know, I always had that about me. How far is Greenville from uh, Columbia? Uh, hour and a half. Hour and a half, yeah. God, I was stationed in Fort Jackson twice in the Army. Once I was single, I had a great time. Second time I was married, I still had a great time. Yeah, I had, I had fun memories of Columbia. And all, all of South Carolina, Charleston, Myrtle Beach, the whole area. It's a great state. I mean, you know, I grew up here. It's home. You know, I've been everywhere in the state just about and spend time on the coast and the beach. The great thing about Greenville is you're three hours to the beach and an hour to the mountains. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. And Greenville's booming because I mean, we're on like Condé Nast, like top small cities in the, in the U S now, like the secrets out where I feel like we're kind of headed towards this Austin vibe. It's pretty uh, it's cool. Yeah, the good when Austin was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Austin's gotten a little, 
I don't know, a little crowded for my liking, but uh, I'm hoping Greenville stops short of that. But it's a uh, it's a pretty cool little city. Yeah. So the next question, I'm pretty sure actually, you guys gonna be. It depends. But what should a, a an entrepreneur or startup founder or small business owner look for the first first uh, marketing hire? Uh, of course, it depends. Like if you're a brand new startup with no money, that's probably one thing. Or if they have like a million dollars of funding or you know money coming in, how should they look at that? I'll I'll answer that a few different ways, but look, this is even even owning an agency now and the hires that I make. I like mutants. <laughs> Let me explain. Um, we live in a very complex marketing world now, and we certainly I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I like to do that. Any good marketer does, right? But uh, we certainly need niche skills. However. It's so complex with the channels, the mediums, the messages, everything that you have to do. I like multi-talented people, multi-talented hires that, you know, a good designer that's, that can also write a little bit, that also happens to be popular on TikTok, that also happens to do a little moonlighting and video editing. Uh, those people are out there. They're, they're getting, you know, I don't know if it's easier or harder to find. They're not easy to find, but they're out there. And give me someone that understands marketing that has six pretty good skill sets and has a marketing mind. I'll, I, I, I tend to start there, especially with early hires. As, as we've grown as an agency, we've had to get more niche and specialized for certain skills. Like I need a PHP developer, you know, for custom coded website. That's very specific. However, if I'm a, an entrepreneur and I did this even with my agency starting, my first few hires were very nimble, very kind of multi-talented. And I think if you're an entrepreneur, you need to kind of find those people. And I don't know that age necessarily matters, but it does tend to skew young because they've grown up in this social media world. And unless you're B2B where social media matters, but maybe it's not, you know, going to make or break the business day one. Um, and again, some of our bigger brand clients, we tell them how important social media is for me to be. But I'm talking on the smaller scale from an entrepreneur. You can get away with hiring, you know, someone a little younger that understands social media that maybe has four to six skill sets. That's where, you know, your first hire needs to be is thinking through that. And the last thing I'll say, though, the biggest thing that's overlooked and as much emphasis as we put it on video, writing is the secret sauce in marketing. A good writer, a good storyteller, and they can write not only like catchy puns and those things, but can really summarize you know, complex details into catchy uh, you know, human writing and not robotic writing. Uh, is the secret sauce. So where do you find your people at? Do you like go to college fairs? Do you like do advertisements? Are they like college degrees in marketing or like, you know, more like experience based or combination? You know, I'm out of the box with my hiring practices compared to most agencies. Historically, most agencies are <laughs> what's interesting is the big agencies just only hire you if you've had agency experience because they can be selective enough. And it's like chicken or the egg, right? Well, you got to have experience to get experience. Well, they just cherry pick it from other people. So I'm probably the farm, uh, you know, unfortunately for the huge agencies because they'll come try to farm off of us, the people that get experience here. Uh, but all that aside, I, I don't hire 
Um, half of our hires didn't have any agency experience, and but it's more off a of feel back to that kind of, are you a creative person? And creative comes in a lot of ways. Some Sometimes it's creative because you can come up with creative ideas for clients, but resourcefulness and availability are two words that are really important. Um, people that are resourceful are really valuable. Uh, people that don't have to be handheld through every step of the way. So there might be creative in different ways. And that might be a process person or someone that works internally as you kind of get bigger. Um, but I find that I interview people and I don't claim to have, you know, I'm a jack of all trade, maybe master of none, but I've always been really good at hiring people, uh, both for other people and uh, my own company. I think I do it well because I get a vibe for people that I can see through the interview process if they're resourceful, if they're talented, or if they're full of shit. And I, I've, I'm, not a, I'm not batting 100%, but I'm telling you, I'm, a, I'm as good as I've ever met at, at figuring that out in an interview. I don't know why, uh, but I can kind of see through it. <laughs> Maybe because I'm a marketer. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm guessing you're looking for people who are like always curious, always learning to learn, right? Like kind of humble. 100%. Uh, you've actually hit on stumbled upon one of my keys to being successful in general, human curiosity. If you aren't curious, you show me a person that's not curious. I'll show you a person that's an utter failure, like, or they've just stepped into money or because you can't have been hungry in your life for a paycheck or a meal or anything else. If you aren't curious, if you are not like, don't have a natural curiosity about you. I would bet that you haven't had to worry about a lot in your life. Uh, but I also think even for those that may have, you know, whether they grew up with a silver spoon or not, human curiosity is one of the greatest variables of success. Yeah. I think the best way someone can guarantee not to get a job is to ask no questions at the interview. Like they always ask any questions for me. You got to have some, even though bullshit made up questions, right? You got to ask something, right? Like, yeah, that's the, yeah. 100%. The, uh, it's, I ask literally when I interview someone, I ask like three questions and I get enough from them and they're in their deeper questions that get at, you know, what I need to hear. And I learn way more from what they ask me than what I ask them. How, how's COVID changed the way you do business or everything stayed the same for you? You know, we're in South Carolina. We're in a conservative state. So, you know, we've been responsible about it. It's not like we're like some anti-vaxxers, like crazy people. Like, and I'm whether or not you, anybody feel, how you feel about vaccines? I'm not even judging that nor myself. I'm more just saying like, it has, we haven't had the lockdowns, you know, that other states have and had the kind of, you know, reaction. So we have been less impacted, at least internally, um, you know, we, we have a huge office space. We're almost naturally socially distanced in some ways. So we've been able to kind of stay status quo after the first couple of months settled down, um, which has allowed us to serve our clients better, quite frankly, you know, the remote work thing to me, I think it's great that it opened up the possibility that some of the time you can work in a hybrid environment. But at the same time, in our, in our, in my view, and in, in where we work best is in a collaborative nature, and that just can't happen in the same way. It just does. People are trying, and I hear people, and they're smart people. I hear people talk about all the time. You know, we haven't skipped a beat. You know, we're just as collaborative. 
And I call bullshit because yeah, that's hard. I mean, I'm a big remote person. I love remote work, but it's just something about, you know, being in person, it's like you're doing designs and collaborative. It's, it's not the same. Not the same. Says. It is not the same. It just isn't. It's like, you know, I saw it firsthand because we did for a couple months go hundred percent remote and we made it happen and we didn't fall apart and all that. But as soon as we got back together, the uh, productivity went back up through the roof and like people were like collaborating and it's just a different collaboration. No, no, I definitely agree. So um, what's your opinion on this? So a few years ago, I was, I was really a big Snapchat fan. I was on all the time, not so much now. I mean, what happened to Snapchat? Like, is this because like Instagram copied everything and TikTok took over? Like, I don't, I don't know what happened to Snapchat as far as the, all that. <laughs> well, I there's still a niche for it. It's not, I wouldn't, you know, where I classify certain things as DAD, uh, dead. I wouldn't put they're they're teetering, but they're not dead. Cause my niece who's like 22 and all her friends that kind of grew up on it, they still use it and communicate through it. And I see a level of it. So I know it's not completely gone, but I think what happened is, you know, you have so you only have so much attention throughout the day and TikTok the last two years has taken over that attention space for that demographic. And so I think, you know, again, you only have so many hours in a day. Instagram has kind of held, um, it's had its ups and downs, but it's held, pr- you know, pretty tight with improving, you know, some of their capabilities like love or hate reels, you know, the, the base platform, the DMing, the messaging capabilities. And then Facebook certainly has, has taken a tumble, especially that younger demographic, but there's still, 30 billion people plus on it. Um, so, or hundred billion, whatever the number is, it's in the billions. They still use it daily. So I think there's only so much attention throughout the day, no matter how fleeting it is. And I think TikTok's just kind of eroded into that. I know Snapchat, maybe it's just me being lazy, but to me, Snapchat used to be so user-friendly and inter- intuitive. Now it's not so much anymore, but as far as talking, right. So I talk with my, with my cousin, we talk about the pre-talk. I have a cousin who plays football for Austin West, like in Austin, Texas. They're playing for state championship tomorrow. Their quarterback, uh, I can't remember his name, is going to play for Clemson, your school, next year. So that's, like, that's curious. So I talk to like two or three people on Snapchat, that's it. I used to be a daily user, right? I used to do the, um, post my podcast clips on there, do the Snapchat stuff. I, just, I don't know, I'm just being lazy. I, I, I need to get back there. I, I used to be a big fan of it. Yeah, I think they've... They've weighted it down, you know, and you could say Instagram's done it, but I feel like Instagram, at least the core things that I've always done on Instagram, I can still do as quickly, even though they've added more functionality. And tick or uh, Snapchat's gotten just a little more weighted down with the user uh, flow, and you know, and again, I I'm I'm on TikTok and have a pretty good following there, so this isn't necessarily plugging it. But the user interface is just so easy and so oh, yeah, fast. No you doubt. can get into that rabbit hole so quickly. It's just a little more, I don't know, it's just a little more time. And Snapchat's just, is communication. And I think what's happened is people are getting more entertained more quickly on the other platforms. And then they're DMing and communicating more through Instagram or even TikTok or others so that that communication aspect with Snapchat is kind of diminished. Yeah, I completely agree. Anyway, with TikTok, I'm a big fan, fan of TikTok. Like I tell people, why are you on TikTok for? I'm like, cause, like there's traffic, like there's supposed to be like, there's like teenage girls dancing, but there's also like, uh, there's late on the call, like, less even if there's like daily HR, daily sales tip. You do your marketing stuff on there. So I think there's a lot of good stuff on there. You got, just got to search to find it. And yeah, you just got to get it in your feed, you know, do searches beyond, you know, 
like uh, every dance challenge that that was, that was kind of all it is now. And, you know, it will, uh, definitely align to how much time you spend on certain things. <laughs> You're going to start, you'll see more and more of the same. Exactly. Do you have any recommendations for entrepreneurs to take better advantage of TikTok or social media in general? You got to do it. You know, like my, a lot of mine's like, you know, like it's cliche and like a lot of the, you know, I guess influencer personal motivation people. And I don't necessarily consider me that other than I'll, I'll share things that I feel like make me successful, but I'm not a personal, you know, like growth, you know, hacker or whatever, but I do, but try it. You got to use it. Like I'm a practitioner. Like I own an agency. I have a team. I have a team that helps me with my personal brand that I couldn't do it without. However, I am a practitioner. I am in the app. I'm doing it. I'm not on it all day. I'm running clients. I'm running a business. But like I do at night, I'm a practitioner. I, I figure out and learn how to do it myself. And unless you try and get into it and have interest and curiosity in learning it and recognizing how it can help your business and how your personal brand, you're never going to figure it out because you're always going to be at the mercy of someone else. Because literally, if... And I even hate saying this outside out loud, Jason, but you know, I'm I'm not one of those people that feels like just because you say it, it'll happen. But like if everything in the agency fell apart, like if my business went to hell, like my personal brand is established. I can make money, I have revenue streams, I could manage everything that my personal brand myself, I know how to do everything that we do. Like I know how to edit videos, I know how to do because I've taught myself all of these things and I have a curiosity about am I as good as the team that I have now? Absolutely not. But I'm a practitioner of these things. And if you're always going to be the mercy of others, if you don't learn these channels yourself. Ryan, can you talk about the point that entrepreneurs put themselves out there? I think so many entrepreneurs, they build a product, build a great company. But if you Google the name, like it's crickets, right? Can you talk about the point like putting yourself out there and, and being like a kind of known entity? Yeah, man. I mean, attention is currency. You know, being known pays. So what do I mean by that? Uh, I'm not talking about being famous. I'm not a famous person. I'm, I'm known in marketing. I'm known in my field and, you know, within, you know, smaller niche circles of agencies and things like that. Um, but I'm not famous, but I am known. And when you can be known and have uh, thought leadership around the subject matter that you're in, whether that's insurance, whether that's law, whether that's marketing, whatever that is, you have an opportunity to have leverage because you can then bring your brand or your business along with you. And that has power. And I, I talk about it in our mastermind, this notion that we're building uh, of compounding interest. You think of compounding interest with, with investment and money. I talk about compounding interest in interest in yourself, interest in your brand, interest in your content. And interest compounds when you have brand messaging out there for your company. You have personal brand messaging out there as a founder or a CEO for the brand. You have other influencers. You have other borrowed interest channels, which, which you use. To, that all compounds in magnifies the attention around whatever product, service, or thing that you're promoting or selling. And so it's just a complete lost opportunity. And you don't have to be, you know, Johnny Muchismo or whatever 
to have a personal brand to leverage. You just have to put your opinion out there. <laughs> so Ryan, it seems like some marketers say be everywhere, be on all platforms. Other marketers say no, only pick one or two. What, what's your take on that? I kind of an 80-20 kind of guy. Um, focus uh, your attention. You know, 80% of your audience and 80% of your targets typically on 20% of the, the platforms and the same thing with like sales, like sometimes 80% of your sales comes from 20% of your target. The, I, I like to focus um, and be, you know, where you can do it properly. You know, like for me, it started on Instagram. I've been on Instagram since 2009. The, I, I don't know what number I was, but that was, I think Instagram started in late 08, early 09. I, I guarantee you I was in the first, 500,000 or a million on Instagram. Now I'm verified. I have over 100,000 followers. I'm not, I don't have millions of followers, but I've built that platform over 12 years. And that's where I started. And even when TikTok popped off two years ago, I wasn't active. I didn't, I wasn't a first mover. So, you know, Facebook, uh, I've had a presence on, but it's kind of started in Instagram because that's where my audience was built. And then I've transitioned in the last year and a half to TikTok and have a good following. I'm verified there, but it happened over time. And so my answer to that is it depends. But typically speaking, I would get one or two channels right, then move on to the others. And if you're in business, then you need to be on LinkedIn as well. So Ryan, you, you bring up a good point. Can you talk about your, the, the, the fact of having patience for building up your followers? I think too many people think I'll go on this platform in six months, having me on followers like me. I have like 20,000 followers on LinkedIn, but I've been there since 2014, right? Can you talk about having the time, the patience, doing the, doing the, the right way? Yeah, man. That's uh, something I talk about a lot. Nobody wants to hear it, so it's not my most popular content. But short-termism is the plague of our society. Um, everything, Everybody wants everything yesterday. And with crypto and all these things that have made people overnight millionaires and viral videos that can happen. You know, it's turned everybody. Um, not only do we have short attention spans, everybody wants everything immediately. We want, you know, gratification immediately. Um, I really hope that that changes over time, but I think it's a real plague of our society, but branding's built over time. Uh, you know, it took me, you know, eight years before anyone gave a shit what I did on Instagram, you know, or to have any kind of major following. And I don't even think it takes that long now. No one has to wait as long as I had to wait on the platform. So I tell people, God, you guys are just too anxious, but like it takes time, you know, and consistency. What happens is people want to, you know, post for, you know, once a day for four weeks. And then when they're only getting 15 likes or hundred likes, depending on the scale, whatever that is, you know, they just bail on it, say it's not working. And it just, it takes commitment. I mean, I've been, I post four times a day to Instagram and I've been doing that for the last five years. You know, it wasn't always that the volume that I'm doing now, but the last four to five years, three to four times a day and stories and other things. And it's gradually over time, that audience has changed and grown. And, you know, the first, I don't know, the, the, the first two years when I really got active trying to grow it, you know, I had 4,000 people, maybe, maybe, you know, and only 7% even then because organic reach was already gone. So I only had probably two or 300 people max, you know, even engaging with my content. And now, you know, it's, 
you know, I get a million impressions a week across, you know, all of it, but it's not, but it's built over five years. I mean, 10 years total on the platform, but five years of like activity. And it just takes time to build a brand. And everybody thinks they're going to build a company, do a startup and sell out in 18 months or two years and make a million dollars. And it's just not realistic. And not only that, you've got to live a lot. (laughs) million dollars isn't what it used to be. You know, it's a lot to live and you got to have patience to ride this bus and to grow your brand over time. And I think a lot of people mess up too. And of course, this is hard to do because you by yourself. But I think a lot of people, they, they post something and it won't do good, but maybe they should like repurpose it like maybe later on, like maybe a different platform trick or something, you know, of course, if you're by yourself, it's kind of hard to do. I understand that, but I think a lot of people don't do that correctly. Yeah, well, it's funny. That's, you know, you're hitting all the key points, Jason. I love this. The, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. How many times do you, when, you know, no matter how much you watch TV, a lot of people don't watch TV anymore, but when you were watching TV, how many times would you see one commercial? like? How many? Like hundreds, 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 I mean. hundreds, like, you know, that Nike commercial, that mm-hmm. McDonald's commercial or that cheesy car ad that you hated, but yeah. you know, you still saw it. It's so funny. Um, reach and frequency is the name of the game with media. How many people you're hitting and see that see your message and then the number of times. And that's how media is determined. And the only way to get true awareness and to get true brand growth is with reach and frequency. And it's so funny to me how people won't play their greatest hits uh, on social media with the posts. And I'm not saying that you, ju- you know, if a post does well, you should repost it the same week three times. But every other month at worst, or every month, you know, if you've got a, a video or something that did well, not to throw that back up on a story or to repost that for everybody that didn't see it, because only 7% of your followers, if you aren't running ads, saw it to begin with. Maybe another 7% will see it. No one's feeding, going through your feed going, oh my God, he reposted the same thing. So we're so self-limiting, you know, with content that we create. And when you think about what works in advertising is repetition. <laughs> it's just so contrary. And like you said, there's so many people on these platforms. What's the chance that you're even going to see it the one time, right? You got to put it out there. Yeah, uh, probably one in a hundred chance that anyone sees it a second time anyway. And if they do, all you're doing is reinforcing whatever message that content did. And that's a win. Who, who are some marketers that you follow? Christopher Lockhead uh, is one of my favorites. He is one of the, he didn't come up to the agency world. You know, I did come up to the agency world and you could say like Ogilvy and all these guys that were like, you know, mainstream ad guys. But Christopher Lockhead is brilliant. He runs a newsletter called Category Pirates. And he's brilliant. He is a, and he's completely irreverent, which I love. Uh, I found myself a little bit in that space. If you listen to our podcast, the Radcast, uh, our Friday episodes in particular, which I just recorded, um, are a little irreverent. And he is very much in that vein, but he's truly one of the smartest guys. He talks about uh, the notion that you've got to be creating a category uh, and working about your category creation more than just your brand which is really smart, but he's also just, that's, that's kind of his drumbeat message is talking about category creation uh, versus in the notion is create a new category or reframe the category instead of trying to come into a category where there's a lot of players and just trying to say you're better, you know, that's a losing proposition and it's really smart. Uh, his newsletter is awesome. Uh, so shameless. I'll give as much plugs to him as possible. 
he's one of my favorites. Um, and you know, I'll leave it there. I, I, I don't consume a ton of content, um, like I used to. And so there's only like one or two people that kind of almost, well, other than just in my feed, I'd certainly get that content, but I mean more of like going out and truly seeking out stuff or stuff that I, you know, kind of led into my mainframe. Ryan, can you tell about your podcast? Son? Yeah, man. It's called the Radcast. We're top 100 uh, on Apple. We're top 25 on Spotify and business and marketing. And, uh, and those rankings kind of fluctuate, but we stay um, pretty high up in there. We've grown that over four years. Uh, we turned four in May. Uh, so again, over time, you know, we had four people listening the first six months, probably like everybody else's podcast. And it never dissuaded me. And I didn't even look at the data. Like I just recorded. Like, I just hit record. Like I started and, you know, started having guests on. And I'm blessed to have had connections and people in the business that I've met over the time when I started it. So that certainly helped with my guest lineup in the early stages. But now it's gone to another level. We have two episodes a week, probably going to move to three next year with the amount of guests that we're kind of getting booked and getting to ban from. But uh, we have a, it's a marketing podcast, but that's the thread, but it's, it's, you know, we talk about what we say is radical people, radical marketing, radical inspiration. Um, and that, I think that's kind of the theme, especially for our guest episodes, which are on Tuesday, we'll have anything from an A-list celebrity to a CMO of a huge brand like Cisco. Um, and so we, we talk about their journey and their careers. We talk about their businesses because even, you know, celebrities or sports athletes or, you know, we had Marty Smith from ESPN on a few months ago. Like, you know, we'll talk, they all have entrepreneurial journeys, even if they're, you know, in a career. And, you know, we'll talk about the marketing aspects of the business. We bring it back to marketing, but, uh, we'll, you know, it's a wide gamut of guests. And then our Friday episodes, we talk about news. We talk about it both pop culture and marketing news. There's always that thread of marketing. I don't, if you listen to an entire episode, and our episodes go about 45 minutes, um, you'll always get the thread of marketing eventually. Uh, but it is a little broader than that because we'll cost the gamut of entertainment, pop culture, and our Friday episodes. My uh, co, I do have a co-host on Fridays, Joe Hamrick, who's an old high school friend who's actually a comedian and writer, uh, amongst other things. And we have fun. We talk about some of the headlines and some of the ridiculousness of some of the things. We, we have a fun segment where we joke about social holidays and how ridiculous some of them are. Social media holidays. Like, uh, ironically, uh, if you didn't know it, tomorrow's maple syrup day. So there's oh, a lot of that. There's <laughs> always some type of day somewhere, right? So I've got a useless, useless information, but uh, we have fun with it. And uh, it's been great growing the podcast. And we've been really blessed with the you know, listenership growing. So, Ryan, what's been your experience with this, right? I'm kind of making this number up. But like, I think I know like 50 people start a podcast. Only five are still doing it. Have you had the same experience? Yeah, man. It's called Podfade. It's back to... It's back to the same principle. I like can probably, you know, short termism might could be the theme of this, but like, it's like people do seven episodes and they don't create the structure, the discipline and the process to stick with it. And they do seven episodes and they get, you know, their attention span wanes. They go and if they have a data source, they go and they see that seven people listen to all episodes and you can't look at any of those numbers. The first 20 episodes, you know, 
do get 30 episodes. This is what I, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how do I do this? How do I get it? Well, come up with the, just the themes. You don't have to write every episode. Come up with the themes for like first 25 or 30 episodes, create a structure of a day and a time where you can stick to recording it and create that structure and create that discipline. And don't look at the numbers and don't try to be getting a guest or excuse me, a, a sponsorship or be thinking about how I monetize it. You have to want to do it for yourself. Because exactly what you decide happens, you, there's so many of these podcasts, I mean, it's almost like the internet's got to be full of them. There's probably 1 million podcasts out there and I don't know, 850,000 of them are like have seven episodes or less, but you have to just set up that process and you have to be committed to it and you have to do it for yourself. If you're doing it purely as a moneymaker day one, it's going to fail. You have to want to do it to learn more either from your guest or to be reflective on your own thoughts. And for me, it does both. And now, because we've gotten popular, it has turned into both a moneymaker and other opportunities for us, more because it's leads for our agency. We aren't, we aren't even selling ads. We do some stuff with sponsored guests here and there, but it's mainly just 90% of the leads of our agency come through the podcast now. Oh, a lot of people don't realize that even if you only have 30 listeners, right? What would you give a talk to 30 people once a week, right? I mean, you'd probably give everything, right? Exactly. And they care what you say and you're impacting them. Like, that's the thing is like, and that's when it hit me. I mean, I, I was committed to it when I did it, but so I didn't, I wasn't necessarily worried that I was going to have the pod fade like we talked about, but I'll never forget getting that DM, you know, from someone saying, Hey man, I just wanted you to know that like I put that into practice and I was like, damn, that impacted me. You know, like one person, you know, if you knew you impacted them positively, uh, much less to your point, 30 people listen to what you had to say. Like if you were in a room, you'd be surprised. You know, we look at these numbers and same thing with like, you know, followers or anything else. We get so conditioned with this stuff, but you know what? A room full of 30 people. That's a lot of people. Don't, get, don't tell me that speak. You can get in front of someone and speak to 30 people and you aren't a little greasy handed and a little shaky. Hell yeah, you are. 30 people is not a, a, a few people. So when you say I only got a hundred listeners or only have hundred followers or 50, imagine a hundred people in a room and they're all cared what you did. We should be thankful. <laughs> I completely agree. So Ryan, next, um, can you talk about this masterclass you have coming up? And first of all, what is a masterclass? Yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot of different things and, you know, we call it a mastermind, a masterclass. Here's what it's going to be. Andy Murphy, he's a friend of mine. He's one of the smartest people there is in brain conditioning and getting to higher levels. Because the biggest issue you see with entrepreneurs, with self-starters, with high uh, value, how highly motivated people is we are our we as individuals are our biggest limits. It's less about outside forces and more of the things in our head. And so I wanted to partner with Andy to help entrepreneurs or anyone in their journey, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in business, uh, we wanted to help them with both what we're calling brain and brand engineering. And I'm going to be teaching on marketing, personal branding. It's going to cost the gamut of both business branding and personal branding. And then Andy's going to teach people on brain conditioning and how to get out of your head and exercises in real world practical ways to, to not limit yourself. Because I think those two things, especially when you're an entrepreneur or someone that's trying to be get the most out of themselves and learn about marketing, 
I just thought those things went hand in hand because I could teach you all day about marketing and personal branding and media and social media and all these things. But if you aren't out of your head, if you aren't able to put them to practice or you're going to fade out in seven episodes on your podcast, then it doesn't do you any good. So what Andy and I are doing is a mastermind, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be once a week training. You're getting one-on-one access to both Andy and I. We're going to teach on a couple of different things each week. And then it's going to be open forum. So you're really joining a community of high performers. And then you get first class access to me and Andy in this forum, in this, in this group. And I mean, it's going to be so much value uh, for people. And it's called the radical formula. And uh, we think it's going to be a difference maker for a lot of people. And you can learn more at the radicalformula.com and get signed up for our newsletter because it's going to be launching next year. Is there a certain demographic that should be attending this? Honestly, if you want to get the, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. It's going to be very affordable. It's going to be $297 a month, less than $300 a month for access. And look, I almost can't even say that online for what I charged clients, like to get access to me, to get firsthand access for me to help on you. I, I get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year from brands to help them solve problems. And you're going to get first access to me and then Andy uh, all in this mastermind. And so we're making it really approachable for a lot of different levels. Um, but I think the demographic is people that are really focused on getting shit done and making, you know, making hay next year and forward in their life in either a startup or maybe they're transitioning in their business, or maybe they don't feel like they know everything that they should about marketing or they want to get more out of themselves in whatever career they're in. So we think it's going to, it's going to kind of scan a wide gamut and, uh, and we're going to see where kind of the, the cards fall. Ryan, so you already talked about the sum, but can you talk more about how your company got started, where you're at right now, and what, you, what your vision is for the future for your company? Yeah, man. Um, Radical is the name of our agency. We're four years old, but we've got over 100 years experience on the team. And um, it's been a real blessing. Uh, we, uh, we've grown really quickly. We've got almost 30 employees across the world. We have 20 here in Greenville, South Carolina, another 10 spread across the world, depending on the clients. We're working with both international clients and local clients. I'd say we're 60% B2B, 40% consumer marketing. Um, and you know, we help brands. We're a turnkey digital agency. We build dozens of websites a year, probably 50 to 75 different websites. We're, you know, custom code to Shopify, you know, e-commerce. And then uh, you know, custom just about anything from a web project standpoint. And then we buy a ton of digital media. I'd say that we create, uh, I, I think we're like this perfect blend of the art and the science. We have a lot of really good creative minds. Um, I'll lob myself in there. I think really sh- I, I'm a, a different beast when it comes to the creative uh, space. Um, I have a lot of campaigns that I've worked on all the years that are household names from Verizon and others. And, and then, but we have this digital arm where we can get and amplify the messages uh, to get them out there in the places that they that they need to be. You know, whether that's social media or programmatic. And so, I think we're blending the art and the science, but we're a full service digital agency, and you know, we're uh, we're on the move, brother. So, Ron, is there anything I should ask you that didn't or anything else you want to talk about? 
I don't think so, man. You know, I hope, you know, I've given some pointers. I, I think, you know, as people, you know, we need to invest in ourselves. Um, I invest in myself. I firmly believe in that, uh, that analogy where, uh, <laughs> you know, if the plane's crashing, you got to put your oxygen mask on so that you can help others. And so you've got to get the best out of yourself so that you can give the best to others. And I think that's been a model for my success. And I just challenge people to kind of, you know, try to get out of their comfort zones and make the most. And, you know, if I can ever help, I'm at Ryan Alford on all the platforms. I answer all my DMs personally. I'm very approachable. I'm very accessible. And uh, I'm just thankful to have had this time with you, brother. And for our listeners, we have the, the uh, we have the links to, to the mastermind or mastermind class and it's social media on the show notes. You can find the show notes at www.cabinetshlblog.com. And be sure to share this episode with your network. So Ryan, we're coming in for a talk. Can you give us any advice and wisdom or anything you want to talk about? I think I've nailed, I've, I think I've given it all to you, brother. You know, just uh, play the long game. Don't play the short game. And uh, you know what? It's funny how, uh, what goes around comes around. So, uh, that's so true. (laughs) Just good principles and things that I live by, man. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have a wonderful family and, and four boys growing up and, you know, I, I show a lot of gratitude, but you know, I'm, I'm just thankful for this opportunity. Brian, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. And to our listeners, thanks for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you-